Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Well, good morning. Hopefully these create some sort of intrigue, and we'll get to them in a little bit. Uh, I want to welcome anyone who might be joining us either online or on demand. We hope that you're having a wonderful spring break, and good morning to all of you. It's good to see you. Oh, that was bad feedback. Good morning. Good morning. We're here. We are awake. We are in the third week of our invitation series, and throughout this series, we have been tracing through together some various invitations that Jesus makes to all of us. In our first week, Pastor Adam tackled the follow me invitation from Jesus, and it's really a weighing of the cost of discipleship. What does it mean to follow Jesus? And then last week, Pastor Leanne talked through come and I'll give you rest, and she's really talking about what does it mean to shoulder the easy yoke lifestyle, the yoke that Jesus promises to give us. This week, We are going to be looking at Jesus' invitation that says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. And if I could summarize this all kind of in, in one sentence, it's the importance of only drinking from Jesus. Our passage this morning is in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. So I'm going to invite you to turn there with me, either in your Bible or your Bible app. Here's some background to this text. Jesus has been uh, celebrating what is called the Feast of Sukkoth, and it's kind of important. It sets up the background for what he does and the, the symbolism he uses in, in his invitation. Uh, for this feast, a priest would go and draw water from a particular pole with like a ladle type of device. They'd walk it to the temple and process around the altar and dump the water out as a libation at the same time that the offering, the morning offering was being made. Well, the last day was the greatest day of this celebration, and they kind of partied all night to celebrate. And on the seventh day, they would do the same ritual. The priests would go out and draw from a particular pool of water and then process around the altar seven times. And pour it out for a libation with the morning sacrifice. And of the festival, it was kind of said that you have never seen joy uh, until you've seen the joy of the water drawing. So it was an immense celebration, celebrating these words in Isaiah 12, verse 3, which says, With joy you will draw from the wells of salvation. So they're celebrating the salvation that God promised, the coming of the Messiah. And it's a Against this backdrop that Jesus cries out in a loud voice on the seventh day, probably after the last libation has been made and they've been in all of this celebration, Jesus cries out this, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. And it's an amazing moment. Uh, It's a very quick, if we're reading through the Gospel of John, we can pass through this very quickly. But what Jesus is proclaiming in front of one of the largest audiences to this point that he has been around is, I am the Messiah. 
I am the salvation that's coming. I'm the whole reason why this feast even exists. I am the living water. Come to me and drink. That's, that's the invitation. It was weighty. It's why immediately thereafter, if you're reading here, uh, you'll find that some are uh, proclaiming him to be the Messiah. Others want to kill him because it's blasphemy in one of the most important venues that you could have had it happen. So all week... I have been wrestling with this question, right? Jesus gives me this invitation to drink. How do I drink from Jesus? How do I come to Jesus and drink? He wasn't a faucet, right? I couldn't literally fill up a glass of water from him and drink. So what is he talking about? I've had to work through this following thought process in in order to answer that question. And here it is. Here's the three things that we're going to talk through this morning. Our soul's thirst... Not all water is the same and only drink from Jesus. Our souls thirst. Not all water is the same and only drink from Jesus. And along the way, what we're going to do, if you're a science person or if you're a mathematics person, we're going to have a lot of fun. If you're not, well, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, Just kind of go along with it. Uh, Say that it's fun. Uh, Indulge me. Uh, It's going to be, I think it's going to be a helpful hands-on demonstration. But since Jesus is not a literal faucet, as we said, I've been wrestling with what, what is he inviting me to do, actually? What is the deal with this invitation? Scripture often talks about living water as a metaphor for God. And us drinking of him as being something significant. So in a certain sense, Jesus' metaphor hinges on the significance of water to the human body. Now, did you know, and most of you probably knew this, that the human body can only go three to five days without water? Three to five days, that's it. That's how important water is to us. But you can go 45 to 70 days without food. That's a stark contrast. Well, 75% of our brain, 75% of our heart, 85% of our lungs, 65% of our skin. Now get this, 30% of our bones, our bones are made up of water. It's why we can dehydrate so quickly. All of our major things within our body that help us to live, breathe, and move All are comprised of a ton of water. So what does our soul need that's like water? I think it's happiness. Happiness is the water of our soul. And this goes all the way back to this philosopher by the name of Aristotle. He said this, What is the highest of all goods pursued in action? As far as its name goes, most people virtually agree, since both the many and cultivated call it happiness. What Aristotle's saying here is happiness is the undergirding drive of everything that we do. It is our motivation. It's the thing that gets us up in the morning. Not necessarily that we have happiness, but that we're trying to acquire happiness. And that's what he's getting at at the heart of this. Happiness is the water of our soul. And it's really the pursuit of happiness that has even produced the foundation for democracy. 
the foundation of our country. Perhaps these words sound familiar to you. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, my wife is a history teacher. Please tell me you know where this comes from. (laughs) Please. The Declaration of Independence. And it creates the undergirding of liberal society, this notion of the importance of us being able to pursue the things that make us happy. Now, because we long for happiness, because that's our driving force that gets us out of the bed in the morning, we tend to drink whatever we think will make us happy. Here's the problem. Not all water is the same. Not all water is the same. Do you all remember the Flint, Michigan water crisis? It lasted from like 2015 to 2016, 2017. It was actually, I was part of the conference uh, that had Michigan in it. So like in the Evangelical Covenant Church, we were doing as much as we could uh, for those that were in Flint, Michigan. And I brought a picture um, to show you, this is what their water looked like. I know, isn't it gross? <laughs> I heard you all groan. This is what the water was like as they were drawing it from their spigots. Can you imagine? Um, and I have kind of my own example of that type of water up here, and, and we're going to get to that too. Uh, but this was being contaminated by lead pipes. This type of brown water, don't worry, this is not real lead water, it's food coloring. Um, I actually had a little bit of fun with the food coloring. It was, it was kind of neat. When you put it in, it made a lot of swirly colors, and I went, I'm so distracted um, as I was making these things. I was like, wow, this is so fun. I went back to like my four-year-old daughter, uh, and like, man, we should do this together. You would like this so much. But this, this is not harmful, uh, not, not real lead, but it's a demonstration of the type of water that was coming out of these pipes, uh, coming out of lead pipes. Now, this got me thinking, and it made me ask, I'm a curiously wired person, if you haven't figured this out, so I ask a lot of questions. Some of them are very helpful, some of them not very helpful. But one of the questions that I ask is, I wonder how much lead is allowed to be in our water for it to be considered safe? And this would be like our example of clean water, this blue one. It has a little bit of food coloring, blue food coloring in it to remind you of whatever beach that maybe you came from um, uh, over spring break. Well, really, it's so that you can see it and it doesn't disappear on screen. That's what's really going on. Um, But how much lead is safe to be in water? I didn't know the answer to this. So, of course, what do you do when you don't know the answer to something? You ask Google, right? Yes. Uh, So I asked Google. And I couldn't understand the answer. (laughs) This is what it said. The EPA, which stands for the Environmental Protection Agency, sets the lead limit of water at 15 ppb. I was like, 15 ppb? What is that? Uh, Even the uh, uh, the person that goes over our slides, his name is Henry, and he asked me this morning, that's what I have, Dave. Is that right? I don't know what you mean there. And I was like, don't worry, Henry. I didn't know what that meant either. Uh, But 15 ppb. Uh, PPB, if you're maybe a chemist, you already know this. Parts per billion. Really small number. Here's another way to think about it, because I heard the silence. So I get you're not, you're not keeping up with this with me. 0.15 milligrams per liter. That's what it's saying. When I take a guess at how many milligrams are in 
a liter. This is the math part. So I know some of you are loving this. Some of you are like, come on, let's, let's get this over. One million milligrams in a liter. So with 15 parts per billion, we're not talking about something like a percent. It's so much smaller than that. If you were to convert it, uh, this, it would look like this. So if, if you put this on the screen, this is what it would look like as a percent. 1.5 times 10 to the negative 6 power percent. In layman's terms, this is what it's saying. The EPA is kind of funny because this is what the EPA is saying. There is essentially no acceptable amount of lead that can enter the human body. <laughs> wow, that would have saved me a lot of time <laughs> to have arrived at the, there is You can't consume lead. It's not good for you. Like physical water, there's only two types of spiritual water that we can drink. We can either drink clean water or we can drink dirty water. There is no other option. These are our two options. And in the Gospel of John, there's another story which precedes this uh, declaration of Jesus in John chapter 7. It's all the way back in John chapter 4, and it's another story about water. Anytime Jesus is around water, he doesn't waste the analogy. He makes sure that he brings this point and drives it home. So he does, he sees the opportunity for another hands-on conversation with the woman at the well. Perhaps you remember this story. I'm going to summarize it for us uh, rather quickly. This is found in John chapter 4, verses 4 through like 26 or so. Uh, and I'm going to give you a paraphrased version of it. You can follow along in, in your Bible if you'd like. Um, but know that I'm not going um, verse by verse here. In the story, Jesus is traveling back to Galilee. And to get there, he had to go through Samaria. It was about noon and Jesus was getting tired from his journey in the middle of the day. So he sat down by Jacob's well. Then a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus asked her for a drink. She said, but you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Right there, Jesus is crossing two big cultural boundaries. Jews and Samaritans did not like each other. They did not talk. And then men and women were not allowed to conversate in public together. So she's saying, why are you even talking to me? I don't even understand why you're talking to me. Uh, So Jesus asked her for a drink. She said, but you are a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. And this is where the conversation starts to get fun. Jesus says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked me to give you living water. I'm sure that the Samaritan woman at this point is like, what are you talking about? And why are we even talking right now? Now, some of the background to this is that she really shouldn't be at the well at this time of the day. So think about this. It's August in Tulsa summer, 105 degrees outside or so. And you get to carry this big clay jar, so like estimation. The clay jar itself, 15, 20 pounds, and you fill it with water. You put it on your back and you walk the half a mile or more that it took to get you to the jar there in 105. This woman shouldn't even be here at this time. She should be, you know, Oklahoma morning, 80 degrees or 90 degrees. It's hot here. 
<laughs> so I don't know what the temperature is even in that region, but it should be sometime early. So Jesus engages her a little bit playfully as she's engaging playfully. And she says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked me to give you living water. The woman tells Jesus, this well is deep, right? She gets a little snarky. This well is deep. You don't have anything to draw with. How are you going to get me water? And he says this. So where's this living water going to come from? And this is what Jesus says in verse 13 and 14. It'll be on the screen for you. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman eagerly asks for the water so that she no longer has to keep coming at noon to draw the water. Right? She's excited. If you can give this to me, if you can deliver this to me, you will change my life. Jesus knows this. He knows this about her. He knows the intimate details of her life and it's where he gets personal. He starts talking about the woman's spiritual water. He says, forget the water for a second. Let's talk about a different type of water. He tells her, go get your husband and come back. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five. And the person that you're currently living with is not your husband. And the conversation kind of continues on. They talk about how the Jews worship in the temple, how the Samaritans worship on this mountain. Then Jesus tells her that there will be a day when the people of God worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman says that I know the Messiah is coming. He's going to explain all of this to me. And Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah. And she seems to not have a huge problem with accepting this. But because of the nature of the conversation, because of how this unfolds, I don't think that the woman really ever caught up to Jesus in the conversation. I think she gets hung up on the literal physical water. And then she gets hung up on the importance of Jacob's well for the people. And she gets hung up on the differences between Jews and Samaritans, and she's getting hung up on, well, if the Messiah will come, then he'll explain all this to me. And then she runs to the village to talk to her friends and says, come, well, maybe friends, whoever's left that will listen to her, uh, and says, come here, a man that said everything that I've done. So she's willing to accept him as the Messiah, but seemed to have missed the point of the conversation. What Jesus was saying is, you're drinking spiritually unhealthy water, I don't know what it is that you're chasing. I don't know what it is that's caused you to have five husbands and living with a sixth person. I don't know whatever that spiritual water is that you're drinking, but you need to stop drinking that water and you need to start drinking the water that I'm prepared to give you. That's what's going to be changing your life. Because we see that the reason she comes at noon is because... She can't stand to be around the other women, or really, probably the other women can't stand to be around her. She's probably stolen many of their husbands through this process. She's really beyond an outcast, and she has some sort of spiritual dishealth that she keeps ignoring. And so she gets caught up in the Messiah as here and forgets that the Messiah is offering you clean water to drink. He's here to restore your soul. He's here to change your life. And I feel like that's the deep 
message of this woman at the well, that this is the type of water that Jesus is offering. Her actions are making her miserable. It's dirty water. It's making her spiritually sick. It's making her physically miserable. This next point is really important. Sin is the lead of spiritual water. And there's no acceptable amount of sin that we can ingest that will not kill our souls. I'm going to say that again. Sin is the lead of spiritual water. There's no acceptable amount of sin that we can ingest that will not kill our souls. We are a lot like the woman at the well. And while speaking on God's behalf, the prophet Jeremiah talks about our condition this way. He says this in Jeremiah. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Jeremiah in chapter 2 verse 13 is saying this. He's talking about people who have not only chosen to drink the dirty water. That we have this choice in front of us of which type of water we're going to drink. He's not just talking about the people that have drunk the dirty water. He's also saying that they're not just drinking the dirty water. They're trying to figure out how to store up copious amounts of this dirty water. So their sin is twofold. They've rejected me as the clean water. They've gone to dirty water wells and they're trying to amass the dirty water. So maybe this mental picture will help you. I, I tend to think in mental pictures. So I'm, I'm going to, to take you on a quick trip. Now imagine you've gone to Colorado. If it helps, uh, close your eyes and go on this hiking trip with me. Imagine you've gone to Colorado. You're out for a hike. You have some limited supplies, but you don't have a ton with you. As you get deeper into the woods, you get lost. And you can't figure out which way to go. I don't know what's happened to cause you to have this separation, but you're far enough away that you can't seem to find the trail that led you into the place. And your water runs out. Now you search and search for water or for some sort of way to find yourself out and panic starts to rise because you can't get out of this place. Now, as you realize you're going to be stuck for a little while, you look to your left and you look to your right and on your right you see a cave which is built in shelter and on the left you see a fast flowing river of water. Now for whatever reason... You've decided that this water is not a good water source. So you leave. You're going to use the cave, but you're not going to use the river. And you walk looking for what you think is a better water source. And you come across this pond full of green algae. Pipes sticking out of it that has sewage running into it. And then you say, this is my water source. It's taken me a mile to get here, but I found my water source. But now I don't want to just keep hiking back and forth. That'd be ridiculous. <laughs> um, using the clean water wasn't the ridiculous part. Walking back and forth a mile to this dirty water is the ridiculous part. So you come back and you clean and you build a cistern, a water cell, in order to hold the water so you don't have to keep walking back and forth. Well, every time you pour the water in, it evaporates and goes away. 
because it just goes and leaks into the ground. This is what we do spiritually. We do it all the time. We ignore the clean water that's right there that God offers us, and we run to the unclean water. Now, it's not that we do just that. Um, We don't really make it that simple. Um, It would be easy if we were just running to the unclean water and choosing to drink from that. We actually try to do this spiritual experiment. We've heard about the person of Jesus. We believe that he's good, so we want to drink of his water. So we take it, and we put it into the cistern of our life. Right? So we, fill, we put some water there. But we also like the crappy water that we've been running to. I don't know why we like these things. But we like the crappy water too. And so we decide, you know, I'm going to add that. My four-year-old self going to experiment mode. Came out green. How about that? This does not look like clean water. Right? So when we added to the clean water with the dirty water, it doesn't come out clean. I want this point to kind of settle in pretty, pretty hard. And I want you to think about this with me. Clean water plus dirty water equals dirty water. Can you say that with me? Clean water plus dirty water equals dirty water. And here's the point that drives us all home. 15 PPBs, parts per billion of sin in our spiritual water creates a huge problem. It creates a huge problem. We can't pour any of this into clean water and it become drinkable for us. We just can't. So this is the other math experiment or math equation that I want you to think through. Jesus plus nothing equals clean water. Can you say that with me? Jesus plus nothing equals clean water. Friends, there's nothing that we can add to Jesus to make him better. There's nothing else that we can take in this life, in this created world, in the things that we enjoy, and that we can bring to the living water and add it and make it better. In fact, what we do when we do these things is we make it spiritually unwell. Because just like the EPA, Christ tells us there is no acceptable amount of sin that we can ingest that won't make us sick. We just don't, we can't take it in. So here's the part that I want us to reflect on in Lent. I want you to seriously think about the type of water that you're drinking for your soul. What are you putting in? Are you trying to do this combination of sorts? Yes, I love the clean water that Jesus gives me. But I also love this other water that the world gives me. And I'm going to keep pouring it in. Now, the beautiful thing about Easter and the cross that we're going to get to celebrate is that we have this thing called grace. God gives us grace, this ability for forgiveness. But this is the thing about grace. And unfortunately, we cheapen grace a bit because we we turn grace just into this get out of free jail card, like get out of jail free card. 
We decide that the grace enables me to drink as much of this unhealthy water as I want. That's actually not the point of grace. Grace has a different meaning to it. Grace is the gateway or the door to repentance. And as we'll talk about later on in the series, repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. That's part of it. The other part is stopping in our tracks and turning around and walking away. It's walking away from the dirty water. It's no longer combining the two waters to try to make something new. It's no longer adding to Jesus. It's not trying to take the parts of our sinful life that we really wish we could hold on to and just add it to the clean water without giving it all. Jesus' invitation is exclusive. Come to me, to me only. And as you come to me, I will give you clean living water. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you and we need your water. Father God, would you help us to evaluate our lives and our actions and help us to understand the big and the small sins that we make that are creating a dirty water situation in our soul. Lord, Help us to repent from those actions, from that water, and to come only to you and drink. Because when we drink deeply of you, Lord, it refreshes our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.